Welcome back to the Spirits Guide Podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating spirits world. And this is episode 29. I can't believe it's it's 29 episodes. When this thing started, it was snowing, and now it's been hot as the sun out there. It's been quite the journey. Thank you guys for taking this journey with me. And on this episode, we're taking a journey around the world, uh, the world of whiskey, that is. Uh, I was inspired by a whiskey that I got to taste last week, which was an Australian single malt, and it just sort of sparked my brain that there are great whiskeys being made around the world, you know, not only outside of America, but outside of the countries that we typically think of as whiskey countries, uh, whether it be Ireland, Scotland, Canada, Japan. Beyond that, there are great whiskeys out there, so... On this episode, I'm tasting whiskey from South Africa, Australia, Sweden, Belgium, and Sweden. Uh, and I already said Sweden. Uh, Finland. Uh, my apologies. So, yeah, five whiskeys from five different areas of the world, all with a great, great story behind them. And they're just all delicious. Um, so hopefully this inspires you guys to kind of expand your minds, expand your palates, and Go outside the box a little bit and discover good whiskey uh, from other parts of the world. Stimulate your palate. Uh, as always, guys, thank you for being on this journey with me. I hope you guys enjoy the episode uh, as much as I enjoyed making it. I really did have a lot of fun making this one. Uh, you know, sometimes I record these episodes and I, I walk out of the studio and I think, like, yeah, that's I don't know about that one. But this one I felt really, really good about. So. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, and if you're here, there's a good chance you do. Uh, go to the podcast page. If you haven't done so already, click that follow button. Give it a five-star review. Share it out on your social media. Uh, follow on Facebook and Instagram as The Spirits Guide. And as always, if you guys have a sample you're curious as to my opinion of, uh, if there are any of these whiskeys that I taste on this episode that you're curious to try, if you're over 21 you live in the area, I have plenty. I'd be more than happy to share with you. Um, and, you know, if you guys want to come hang out, have some drinks, geek out about movies, music, TV, books, whatever, uh, you can email me, thespiritsguide89 at gmail.com. Uh, also, I mentioned it in the episode, uh, Old Forester Single Barrel Barrel Proof Store Pick for Wachusett Wine and Spirits. Probably a month, month and a half out, but spots are filling up. I'm taking reservations on those bottles. There are a two-bottle limit, uh, so if you want to reserve a bottle, you can email me at spiritguide89gmail.com. Stick around till the very, very end of the episode for a uh, uh, maybe a special offer. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. And away we go. Uh, hey, guys. Um, yeah, here we are. It's, <laughs> again, it's hard to believe it's episode 29. When I started doing this, uh, I mean, when I started prepping for it, it was a long time ago. When I started releasing episodes, it was, it was snowing out. It's hard to believe that going all the way back to those couple of Anthony Bourdain episodes and the Peter Thomas rum episode that it was 
snowing and frigid cold outside. And now it's uh, it's been super hot. Uh, thankfully, the weather has finally broken a bit this week. Um, hope you guys are enjoying these last few weeks of summer. Having a good time, staying safe out there. And uh, man, what a week this was for me. Uh, you guys saw the pictures up on Instagram. I mean, Tuesday, I probably <laughs> tasted more spirits in uh, the shortest amount of time possible than maybe I ever have. But man, what a what an incredible luxury tasting I get to be a part of on Tuesday. Like I said, you guys saw the pictures, but man, those uh, very old St. Nick's, far better than I thought they were going to be. The rare perfection, just stunning, stunning whiskeys. Uh, the Doc Swinson line was great. Uh, the Espanita tequila was fantastic. And, you know, maybe my favorite that I, I tasted this week, and this may be redundant for some of you if you guys watched the Watch Use of Wine and Spirits uh, Facebook Live video that I did with Corey and Peter Thomas on Wednesday. Um, but, man, this is a whiskey that blew my mind. Uh Man, that sweet sound. This is Morris of Rutherglen. It's an Australian single malt. So 100% malted barley from Australia, you know, and I was I was just absolutely intrigued when this was put in front of me. You know, do, do you want to try Australian? I was, absolutely. Like, I want to try everything. Uh, but whiskey from Australia, I was intrigued. And, you know, I've talked about it before of, you know, sometimes these world whiskeys are good. They're interesting. They're unique. But a lot of times they're really, really pricey. This one wasn't. It's hitting the shelf at 60 bucks. Um, and so I took a chance on it because it just was, you know, once I tasted it, I was hooked. I was in love. And like I said on, you know, the Wachusett video in that podcast, like I couldn't wait to share this with my friends who are just into cool and interesting and unique stuff. And it, you know, that's what this stuff is all about. Like it's one thing, if it tastes good, it's another thing when you get to share it with friends and it sparks a dialogue. And that really is, it was sort of the, the catalyst, the inspiration for where we're going on this episode, you know, unlike last week where I didn't know where I was going this week, I know exactly where we're going and we are going all around the world. Later on, we are going to be tasting a whiskey from Sweden, a whiskey from Finland, a whiskey from Belgium and a whiskey from South Africa that are all unique and interesting and have really, really cool stories uh, going on with them. Man, on the nose, this has got a little bit of that yellow spot thing going on. And sort of the story with this is, you know, Morris has, you know, they've been a winery since, you know, like the 1850s. And they're in Australia in a part where there was a gold rush in the early 1800s. A lot of people kind of went there to mine for their gold. And when that gold rush kind of passed, they all just kind of stuck around there, hung out planted grapes and they were, were making wine down there in Australia. 
so the Morris family have been making wine for 160 years at this point. And then like 2016, I think it was, they decided we're going to make our own whiskey. And what's beautiful about it is they were making their own wine. So they're aging their wine in oak barrels. They have vineyards in Barossa. They have vineyards in Kunawara. And then they have vineyards in uh, Rutherglen. So the Barossa and the Kunawara vineyards, they grow Shiraz, they grow Cabernet. So they've got barrels that were used to age uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and, and Shiraz. So that cuts down on the cost of them because they're using those barrels again. So they're doing the initial aging in those Shiraz and Cabernet barrels. Then they're blending them and they're finishing, finishing them in their fortified dessert wine barrels. So you're getting all kinds of complex flavors here. You get some of those cereal notes like you would get from a single malt scotch. And then you're getting like, you know, red fruit. Oh, man, just all right. I got to taste this again. Mm. It's like butterscotch, big butterscotch presence there. Uh, like I said, red fruit, cereal grains, 88 proof. It's a perfect proof for this whiskey. By the way, if you're one of those drinkers who are like, I just like bourbon. I don't like rye. I don't like scotch. I don't like Irish. I just like bourbon. You can probably just click the stop button right now and check out of this. Um, because these are whiskeys for people with adventurous palates and open minds who want to discover things. And, you know, this is a great way to take a journey around the world. But none of this. None of this is bourbon. These are totally different, unique drinking experiences. Now, before we get into the whiskey tasting, let's talk about some of the things that have happened in the spirits world this week. Uh, for me personally, uh, in addition to the amazing luxury tasting, uh, great, great news is I approve the labels for my Rittenhouse single barrel. So that should be here in about a month or so. And approve the label for my old Forrester single barrel barrel proof. Uh, very, very exciting on that. Uh, again, that old Forrester is not going to stick around long. That's going to go really, really fast. So if you guys want to reserve a bottle or two of the old Forrester barrel proof single barrel, email me spiritsguide89 at gmail.com or you can email me rich at whatchusetliquors.com. Or you can stop by the store or message me on any of the platforms. Just let me know. Uh, those spots are filling up fast. Uh, I don't know exactly what the yield is going to be on that barrel. So I'm capping the reservations at 100 because I want to make sure. Uh, you know, I don't want to oversell it. I promise people that I can't guarantee that I can deliver. But if you want to reserve a bottle after that 100 has been filled, uh, there'll be no guarantee on it, but if there's more than 100, we'll dole them out in the order that those reservations come in. Uh, man, we're talking about August, and it's you know still summertime out. Pumpkin beer is out already. Oktoberfest beer is out already. It is amazing. Not only is it amazing that they're out already, it's mind-blowing how much pumpkins head I have sold at my store in the last two weeks. 
People buying it, they're drinking it. It's 110 degrees out. They're sucking down pumpkin beers. Doesn't make any sense to me. Bless you if that's your jam, but man, it's just, it's a shocker to see it in August. It's an even bigger shocker to see people buying it and drinking it and buying more of it. By the way, we tasted on the Wachusett Wine and Spirits podcast this week. We did five American Oktoberfest beers with my coworker, my beer manager, my friend Matt, um, who gave us some great knowledge on what Oktoberfest means, um, why some Oktoberfest cans look the way they do, um, and the two sort of traditional styles of Oktoberfest, which is Fest Beer and Marzen. So great, great stuff. Uh, if you're curious about any of that, check out the Wachusett Wine and Spirits podcast. Um, it's the middle sort of segment on that podcast. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, not a lot in other spirits. It's I feel like it's the first week where I haven't read about a celebrity being attached to a wine. I haven't read about a new RTD hitting the market. And I haven't read about a new celebrity tequila. Although I did read a very interesting article about sort of the celebrity pairings with spirits and why this is a trend and what's going to happen with this trend uh, going forward. And it it kind of, you know, I know everybody wants to get into it and they, it seems like they're all giving credit to, you know, everybody saw George Clooney and what he cashed out on Casamigos on. And I think people forget that 10 years ago or so, Sammy Hagar did that with Cabo Wabo. He was one of the first ones to me that really kind of got a celebrity brand going, you know, based on his name in, in the product. And he sold that for a boatload of money, you know, but basically people are now seeing, you know, what George Clooney cashed out for. And here's, you know, there's a couple of reasons, but there's more spirits in America and there's more actors sorting, sort of wanting to kind of get into the game. But here's kind of what I, I read about. There's, there's a, a marketing team out there. And I don't know the name of it. Uh, but basically, Cram and her team help artists generate revenue and marketing exposure outside of traditional brand endorsements. You know, in 2020, they lost launched 800 products. Everything from T-shirts and snowboards to Grateful Dead all-natural deodorant and wine from the band. All-time low. Um, basically, these guys are like a brokerage firm, and they are constantly going back and forth between celebrities and spirits brands to try to make these agreements where either you know they get a part ownership or they're actually investing on their own. But... Apparently, what this is all about is a way to just market yourself. Um, you know, lots of rock bands are getting into like the whiskey business. I've seen it with Slipknot. I've seen it with uh, the Flaming Lips and Few, uh, Guar with Katassin Creek. Uh, obviously, Metallica is in there. It's almost like they don't really care so much about the whiskey as they do the promotional aspect of it of this band has a whiskey, which generates your interest in the band. Um, you know, whether it's the Jonas Brothers or the Jenners 
or Carlos Santana, Guy Fieri, George Clooney, Sammy Hagar, all these people in the tequila world, um, Ryan Reynolds in the gin world. And I think Ryan Reynolds is actually pretty genuine about aviation gin, uh, that he actually liked the product, but it, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt when they sell that brand for a half a billion dollars. And it also doesn't hurt their market presence to be associated with the brand, you know, and I guess on the other side, it doesn't really hurt the brand to be associated with celebrities either. So I guess the bottom line is we're going to keep seeing celebrity endorsed celebrity related products. Um, I am skeptical of so many of them because they're, they tend just not to be good or they just tend to be so limited that you don't get your hands on them. Anyways, uh, speaking of limited, our weekly series of here are five whiskeys you're probably never going to find. Uh, I feel like these, you might be able to find some of them, uh, and it's definitely more than five. But here's some of the interesting whiskey announcements uh, that have taken place this week. Dalmore 14. Dalmore is great single malt scotch. They do an amazing job. Um, they're getting up there in price a little bit. But I will take them over McAllen in the pretentiousness of the McAllen brand any day. Uh, again, Sherry finished, you know, some Oloroso PX barrels and the way they blend them. Dalmore is doing great, great things out there. If you're a Scotch fan and you like those Sherry Bomb Scotches, Dalmore is definitely something to look into. Um, High West uh, announcing the reintroduction of Campfire to their lineup. It's going to be a yearly release, uh, and here is the breakdown as it goes. Uh, they're using some MGP rye, some MGP bourbon, um, some High West 80-20 rye, so 80% rye, 20% malted barley, and blended malt whiskey. Um, I don't know what that means. I know what blended malt means, which is basically a blend of single malt whiskeys. Uh, so I don't know if they're buying a couple of single malts together, you know, like Monkey Shoulder, Shackleton. Uh, those are blended malt whiskeys. So I'm not exactly sure, but that's what they're doing. Uh, anybody who knows me knows sort of my feeling on High West at this point. Not so much High West um, because they do make a good product, but they're owned by Constellation. And Constellation may be some of the biggest shitheads in the industry in the way they do business, their practices, the way they make stores buy. And I'll share this story for anybody who hasn't heard it from me. Uh, but you guys all know Mid Midnight Winter's Dram. It's kind of their big yearly release. It's the one that's highly sought after. It's another one of those that seems to jump $20 a bottle in price every year. And I used to get it in at my store. And then a couple years ago, it had gotten released. And I went to my sales rep and I said, hey, can I get a case of Midwinters? You know, I we usually get it every year. Can I get one? And he came back and he said, yeah, sure. Here's the deal. They want you to buy, you know, three cases of High West. Not a problem. This happens quite often in the industry. It's kind of a behind the scenes, let you, you know, behind the curtain on it. Of a lot of times, like, you know, obviously all the Buffalo Trace products people know about, Taka Vodka and Chi-Chi's and Fireball and Wheatley's and all that. But, you know, a lot of that happens on a smaller scale as well. You got to buy this to get your hands on this. So I said, all right, what's the deal? I think it was three cases or five cases of High West. 
They're six packs, not a big investment. And it was just the bourbon and the rye. It's fine. So I buy the five cases. Now, sometimes you have to buy the cases. I know when I get like Willet four year rye, I have to buy 10 cases of regular Willet. So Willet Potstill, Noah's Mill, Rowan's Creek, whatever. I got to buy 10 cases of all that crap to get one case of rye. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll ship you the 10 cases. They want to see that that invoice gets signed. It goes back to the office. And then at that point, they'll release the allocation and send me the four-year rye. So I don't think anything of it. I buy my five cases. I don't get my case of midwinters. A couple weeks go by. A month goes by. Call my sales rep. Hey, where's my case of midwinters? All right, I'll see what happened to it. Another month goes by. Another month goes by. It's not there. Turns out they didn't have it to sell to me, but they still sold me my five cases of regular High West that they didn't offer to pick up. They just stuck me with it. Well, then the following year, which was last year, they sent out a pre-sell and they said, hey, if you want a case of Midwinters, you've got to buy five cases. And if you buy 10 cases of High West, you can get two cases of Midwinters. And I forget what it was. It was something ridiculous where like if you bought 15 cases, you could get, I think, five. It was five cases on 15. So I think you could get, you know, maybe one on five, maybe three on 10 and five on 15. But you had to buy the bourbon, the rye, the pre-made Manhattan and the pre-made old fashioned. So you had to buy all four of those SKUs and you could get five cases, five cases of midwinters. My first thought was uh, go fuck yourself, because if you have a five case deal on the table, Obviously, it's not that limited. Second of all, you still owe me a case from last year. I'm not buying it. And I discontinued the High West brand. When I heard back from other people from other stores in the area, turns out that Constellation oversold that by 300 cases of Midwinter's Dram. They sold 300 more cases than they actually had. And there were stores who bought the 15 cases who were supposed to get five, and they got two, maybe three. Now, Constellation didn't go back and offer to pick up some of those cases. They just saddled everybody with those 10 and 15 case deals, but never delivered on the promise of midwinters. So if you come into my store and you're like, how come you don't carry High West? That was me saying, fuck you to Constellation that we're not going to play that game. Um, and I'm not going to let you screw me, stick me with pre-made old fashions and pre-made Manhattans that nobody's ever going to buy all for the chance to not get that one case of whiskey um, that my customers are looking for. So sometimes you just got to fight the fight against these big guys and, and kind of take that stand. So that's my whole thing with High West Campfire, Midwinters. I digress. So back to other whiskey releases, uh, Brooke Lottie announcing the release of their Islay Barley series. Uh, this is an eight-year single malt scotch from 2013, um, and it's their sort of terroir-driven, so they get all the barley from one area. This is an unpeated scotch. 
Uh, 75% of it was aged in American oak barrels, 25% in red wine barrels. Uh, this scotch has hit uh, Whiskey Advocates top 20 in the past. Uh, it's a different you know, area for barley every time they release it, but it is always an amazing bottle. Brooklady, hands down, is probably my favorite scotch distillery, without a doubt. Uh, Jameson announcing the relaunch of Jameson 18. Haven't seen that one for a while, um, but it's coming back. Uh, we may get some of that in the store. I don't know how much of it is coming to the U.S. Uh, I know they had discontinued it for a while, um, but it's back. Uh, man, maybe one of the biggest gimmick whiskeys. Uh, I still don't get why people pay so much money for this. Uh, in the Jefferson's Ocean Aged series, uh, they just announced a weeded bourbon. Uh, now, Jefferson's don't they don't make their own whiskey, so they're sourcing it from somewhere. Uh, so they've got some weeded bourbon that they put on a boat. They went around the world through the Panama Canal. And uh, yeah, uh, whiskey on a boat, 90 bucks. Have at it. Uh, not for this guy, but I know a lot of people really do like it. And it is a really cool story. It's it's interesting, but yeah, not for me. Remus Repeal number six got announced this week. That's coming out probably late September. I don't know when it will hit the mass market. I should have a pretty good supply at my store. Uh, and they announced that it will be a blend of eight to 14 year whiskeys which seems a little bit younger than last year's release. Uh, but again, people don't get so hung up on age statements. The whiskey is good when the whiskey is good. Um, and then two things of note from Brown Foreman this week. One, they announced the release of King of Kentucky. This is kind of one of those laugh, you know, five bottles of whiskey you're never, ever going to see. Uh, it's a 15-year brown foreman, so probably the same mash bill as Old Forester. Uh, it's going for 250 bucks. There's only 3,500 bottles in existence, and it is only getting released in Kentucky, Ohio, and Illinois. Yeah, so just you know, another teaser for people to go running around like crazy people. And by the time any of us ever sees a bottle, it'll probably be a thousand dollars for that. And then they did another bottling uh, of 18-year Brown Foreman juice. Again, probably Old Forester. Only released in Kentucky. 250 bottles total available for a cool 350 bucks. So if you're in Kentucky, you got 400 bucks burning a hole in your pocket, keep an eye out for King of Kentucky. Now, the other big announcement from Brown Foreman this week, uh, they announced uh, the release of this year's birthday bourbon, which is going to be an 11-year bourbon. Maybe the oldest birthday that I can recall. Um, and it's going to be bottled at 92 proof. So all you proof hounds, you proof chases, you proof whores who think that anything less than 120 is not good enough for you, you're going to be disappointed. It's only 92 proof. That being said, I tasted uh, one of the orphan barrels, the one that was like 14-year George Dickel. 
that came in at like a cask strength, but it was like 86.9 or something. It was in the 80s. It was really, really low. And I thought like, that's going to be a tough sell. And I think my friend Jeremy was the one who actually bought it. And we tasted it and it was a beast. Big, big viscosity on it. So, you know, proof point, you know, like any other number can be deceiving. Um, and sometimes too much importance can be placed on it. If you're concerned about the proof point, ask yourself, do I want to get drunk or do I want something that tastes really good? Um, 11 year birthday bourbon. I mean, it's birthday bourbon. I've never had a bad tasting birthday bourbon. And again, our old Forrester single barrel store pick at Barrel Proof. I probably will only get one bottle of birthday bourbon this year. The only way you're going to get that bottle out of my hands is to buy one of our store picks. Your receipt from that purchase will become your raffle ticket, and I will draw a receipt for the chance to buy a bottle of birthday bourbon at MSRP. No gouging, no $500 for this bottle. Just a chance to buy it at regular markup. And MSRP is $150. Now, that is sort of an outdated formula. So I will base my retail price on what the actual formula is that is calculated. Um, because again, different prices, different states, different structures. But it will be around $150. So again, the only way you're going to get a bottle of birthday bourbon from me is to buy a bottle of Old Forester Store Pick Single Barrel from Wachusett Wine and Spirits. So if you want to reserve one of those bottles, rich at wachusettliquors.com, uh, thespiritsguide89 at gmail.com. Reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram. Stop by the store and see me. Uh, that's going to be your best chance. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. Uh Pour myself another glass of whiskey and talk about some of the cool things that I've watched in the past week. Um, because again, spirits, the best way to enjoy spirits is with friends over conversation, but sometimes we're on our own and we're doing other things while we're enjoying spirits. You shouldn't just be sitting there in the dark drinking whiskey by yourself. That is lonely and a frightening, frightening image. Uh, so yeah, be back with a couple of cool recommendations of some stuff to, uh, to enjoy while you're enjoying. All right, we're back. Um, so yeah, like I said before, you know, obviously the best way to enjoy spirits is with, with friends, with good people having conversation, but that's not always the case. You know, sometimes we're doing other things and we're, you know, having a glass while, you know, watching something, reading something, writing something. And so this is kind of what I've been up to for the last week. Some things that I can strongly, strongly recommend. Uh, start a new book. I There's something about it. And I was talking to my friend Peter last night. Uh, not Peter Thomas. Uh, I know more than one Peter. And uh, we were up talking late. Uh, probably drunk on both ends and, uh, you know, talking about reading books and, you know, 
how at some point in your life, you kind of get away from it. You know, I used to read a lot and then I kind of just stopped for a while. And then maybe a year and a half ago, I really got back into reading and it's just so good for the mind and for the soul. And really anytime you're, you're reading, you're exercising your brain. So I always love that. And I find myself loving books about interesting people or things that have to do with like the human condition. I read a lot of biographies, you know, because people interest me and I want to know more about them and, and know how they function. I always had a fascination with psychology. And then every now and then I'll, I'll kind of step out and, you know, I just recently talked about reading Hunter Thompson and I kind of came across this, I forget where I saw the post online or Maybe it was when you go to do a Google search and all the other articles pop up, but there was a book called the last white man on earth. And that just sort of piqued my interest of, you know, where are they going with that title? And then I read the premise and it's actually a pretty interesting premise, but that book wasn't out on paper book yet uh, on paperback. So I started to look at the author and his name is Mosin. Uh, I'm probably crucifying it. Hamid or Hamid, uh, obviously a Middle Eastern kind of name. Um, I'm not sure where he's from, but the book that I kind of settled on, it's a book called Exit West. Had good pedigree. It's one of the 10 best books from 2017, according to the New York Times book review. So that was enough for me. And then the premise is basically like, I don't know. They don't say it specifically by, but by the way he describes the clothing and the type of prayer, uh, some sort of Middle Eastern Muslim, maybe faith. Um, but people who are kind of living in this world and, you know, two people who fall in love in the midst of a war um, and how the war is kind of taking over their city and they're kind of forced to live together in this sort of forced intimacy. Um, but they were already starting to fall in love at that point. But there's also sort of a supernatural aspect uh, because they start to hear rumors of doors and other houses that you could walk through and go to another place. And so it's just, it's just a really, really interesting story, sort of an epic sweeping novel, but it's written in such a style that, you know, I started reading it yesterday and I barreled through half of it in a day and that's while working and prepping for this podcast. It just reads that fast as, you know, the chapters are short. There's a lot of sort of sub chapters that are only like two or three paragraphs. So you find yourself really reading it fast. And like, you know, I've read some, some Anne Rice and some Stephen King where it's so detail oriented and so wordy that sometimes they get hard to read. This author here, um, he kind of gets the details out. So you get the general the gist of what's going on without having to go too deep in it. And you're just really kind of you're, you're on the ride. You're living the life with these, you know, two main characters. Uh, it's a really easy, quick read. It's interesting. Uh, it's hard to put it down. It, it really reads that fast. I'll probably have a final review of it on next week's episode. As I finish the book, as I'm sure I will, uh, within a day or two, um, but yeah, that's that's what I've been reading. <clears throat> and it's reading is something I do 
you know, I always have a book on me when I go to work and I take my lunch. This is what I do on my lunch break. I eat lunch and I read. Um, again, it just exercises your brain. It increases your vocabulary. Um, it teaches your brain to kind of imagine. So it's just something I like to do. So again, the name of the book is called Exit West by Mohsin, M-O-H-S-I-N, Hamid, H-A-M-I-D. I apologize. I mean, no disrespect whatsoever if I am crucifying uh, the pronunciation of that name. Um, I did my best. Uh, all right. We're in segment two. It's time for whiskey two. And again, we're taking a journey all around the world. This is one of the ones that the first time I saw it was available. I was like, I got to get that. This is from Gooden Carolus. It's a single malt whiskey, so 100% malted barley. Now, you may know that name, Gooden Careless. If you're an old school beer drinker like I am, you know, I think when I was like a teenager coming up, you had like Bud, Bud Light, maybe Miller Light, Coors Light. Your imports were Heineken, Amstel, Bass, Guinness. That, that was kind of it. And then we started to see more Belgian beers. And Gooden Carolus does a Belgian uh, tripel that is just, it's fantastic. I don't know why people don't drink that style of beer anymore. They're high in alcohol, they're high in flavor, um, and they're low in additives because of, you know, the purity laws that they have in those countries over there. So these guys decided, you know, a few years back, uh, by the way, the brewery, Gooden Carolus, uh, which is under another name, but has been around since 1491. You're talking well over 250 years before our country was official. Um, back in 2013, they started basically distilling. So they were making, you know, to make whiskey, you have to make beer first. And if there's anybody who knows how to make beer, it's the people who make good and careless. So uh, they were the first distiller licensed distiller in belgium uh part of it is aged in bourbon barrels and the other part of it is aged in what is known as anchor barrels uh again single malt so 100 malted barley and guess who the key consultant on this was now if you watch the wachusa wine and spirits whiskey wednesday video you heard me bring up this name um with the morris whiskeys he was a key consultant there he was a key consultant for Virginia Distillery and my friend Amanda Beckwith. And he was a key consultant on this project. I'm talking about Jim Swan. Um, if you guys don't know his name, learn it. He's he's the Dave Peckerel of single malt whiskey for sure. Like I feel like every time I'm digging into a new sort of single malt whiskey brand or new distillery, Jim Swan's name is in there somewhere as a part of it. So they take their great beer making skills. They age some of it in bourbon barrels and what Jim Swan is known for. And Virginia distillery uh, has kind of mastered this, what they call the STR barrels, uh, which is they take red wine barrels after they're used, they shave the insides, then they toast the barrels, then they rechar. So shave, toast, rechar STR barrels. Uh, they refer to them as anchor barrels. This bottle is diesel. Uh, we're talking 92 proof here. 
and let's get into it. You know, on the nose, it's got kind of a, a beer kind of smell to it. They're using Belgian yeast to make their brewer's beer. Yeah, it smells like boozy Belgian beer. Mm. It's got a nice richness to it. Nice sweetness. You get that Belgian yeast flavor. Again, if you've ever had Belgian beers, this is a Belgian beer flavored whiskey. It's absolutely delicious. Again, not a cheap one, low pricey. I want to say like 50, 60 bucks, but well worth it if you have an adventurous palate. And again, the bottle, when you guys look on Instagram and you see the picture of this bottle, it is diesel. It is just fat. It's got corners. It almost looks like the Blade and Bow bottle. Um, man, I forgot how good this was. Whew, that is awesome. All right. So what else has been going on? It's kind of spiritual entertainment, other stuff I'm doing. A couple of amazing documentaries that to me show how great sports can be. And I know there's a lot of people who kind of don't watch sports anymore and the athletes are spoiled and they make too much money or people take political stances from the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. And I know really shitty people who just stopped watching football after that. Um, and I, I guess kind of fuck them, but at the heart of it, people who play the sport for the purity of it, sports can be a metaphor for so many other things in life. And I watched two really, really incredible documentaries that turned out to be more than I expected going into them. And I learned so much, not only about what I thought the subject was going to be, but how other aspects played into it. And the first one is a documentary that is on Showtime called The Kings. And it basically is a documentary about kind of the golden era of boxing. You know, everybody knows, you know, Muhammad Ali and maybe Sugar Ray Robinson. And there was a fighter sort of of every generation. But then in the late 70s, early 80s, up until the 90s, we had the four kings. They were known as the four kings of boxing. And incredibly, they all fought each other at some point in their career. And the four kings were Roberto Duran, Thomas the Hitman Hearns, uh, actually Roberto Hands of Stone Duran, uh, Thomas the Hitman Hearns, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, they were the rock stars of their time. And watching it, you get a sense of like, wow, I forget when boxing was really that big. And when it was like a science, it was an art form. It was a ballet that just included violence as well. And it really like this documentary kind of chronicles their four careers, how they intersected. Um, you know, it addresses the violence aspect of it as well as the sweet science aspect of it. But then it gets into all these details and 
politics and geography and how these things all tie together. Um, Things that I just sort of didn't realize or know at the time, especially things having to do with the Panama Canal, because at that point in time, America was still controlling the canal um, and they were living like kings in Panama in their sort of zone, while literally on the other side of the fence from the zone, Panamanian people were living in absolute poverty and shit. Uh, So there really was a dislike of Americans at that time, and they wanted them out of their country. Jimmy Carter was trying to give the Panama Canal back to the Panamanian people. Ronald Reagan, at that time governor of California, who, after watching this documentary, you kind of realize what a shithead he was, um, he wanted to keep it for the U.S. And there's a sort of battle going on there, but how that seeps into the boxing world of Roberto Duran was from Panama. He was friends with the leaders of Panama who were at odds with the leaders of America. So when he comes to America to fight Sugar Ray, it's not Roberto Duran against Sugar Ray. It's Roberto Duran representing Panama, fighting Sugar Ray, representing the U.S. And it just becomes fascinating. And then how Reaganomics and how that changed sort of the landscape of Detroit as it became sort of a very impoverished area of the U.S. And Tommy Hitman Hearns is from Detroit. And so he becomes sort of the the golden boy of that and gives that whole city something to root for. Uh, Marvin Hagler, who was always a, you know, a, a tough guy, but Sugar Ray went to the Olympics and Marvin Hagler didn't. And Marvin Hagler kind of defended himself and stuck up his case for, you know, being screwed over or the way things, you know, he wasn't treated fairly. So the general public didn't particularly like Hagler as much as they loved Sugar Ray Leonard, who was an Olympian. So there's all these sort of dynamics. Uh, Sugar Ray talking about being abused as a child and his drug use. Uh, There's great footage of all of their fights. It's just, it's an amazing sort of thing. Like it's not just a story about boxers. It's a story about politics and what these boxers represented, um, what the money represented to them, uh, you know, the way they succeeded, the way they failed. Fascinating, fascinating watch. Um, If you're an old school boxing fan and you remember those guys like I do, it's a great watch. If you want to see some politics and economics uh, in this country, in Panama, set against the backdrop of boxing, it's also fascinating and educational that way. Just a great, great watch. Uh, again, The Kings. It's a documentary about the four kings of boxing. Mm. That Golden Carolus is so good. And then the other documentary I watch, and this is part of the Netflix Untold series of which I've seen most of their sports documentaries. And they're basically sort of the behind the scenes stories of major sporting events that have happened. Uh, There's one on a hockey team called the Danbury Thrashers, uh, which is just fascinating about a a guy who bought a hockey team for his 17 year old kid. He was in the trash business. He was connected with the mafia, Um, but his 17 year old kid was running a team that he built 
basically off of video game stats and base it on a 1970s flyer team. You just put together a bunch of bruiser brawlers and they almost actually won the cup in their league, which is like the AHL or it was like a step or two down from the NHL, but it was a legit team. Fascinating, fascinating watch. They did one on the malice at the palace, um, which was the legendary Pacers Pistons where the brawl broke out in the stands with Ron Artest. Great job there. Uh, showing some of the the backstory there. There's a great one on Marty Fish, who was a top-level tennis player who was secretly dealing with depression and anxiety that we never really saw from the outside. And the one that I watched this week is called The Girlfriend That Wasn't There, and it's the story of Manti Teo um, in that whole debacle that happened maybe like 10 years ago, I think it was. And if you remember that Manti Teo was like the number two recruit in the nation coming out of high school. He went to Notre Dame. He was a star linebacker who made it all the way to the Heisman trophy ceremony as a senior. Uh, And then we all kind of heard the story of how his grandmother and his girlfriend died on the same day, right before his senior year. And he dedicated the whole thing to him. And then it turns out that the girl never physically existed uh he was catfished which is kind of like trolling uh and in turn it seems like the whole country just turned against him they made a joke out of him they created all these memes about him and this documentary digs into how sinister this plot was to deceive him um people go like how come you didn't know there are details that get shared in this documentary where you go like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I would believe that too. Um, and it, it just turns out that he was a really, really good guy. And, you know, everybody bought into this story in a magazine, an online magazine called Deadspin that had eight employees did fact checking that NBC, CBS, Fox, uh, ESPN, None of them fact-checked any of this story and just ran with it. And Deadspin kind of figured it out, ran the story, in an attempt to show mainstream media how lax they were in their fact-checking. And it just turned into this really ugly, ugly thing with people creating memes and really just kind of dumping all over Teo. And by the end of it, you actually feel sad for him because he was such a great player and to see what he went through and how all those things just affected his his confidence in himself and his ability to play the game. And then you, you understand why he didn't have a long and fruitful career. But it's also sad, again, that mainstream media did not do any fact-checking whatsoever. Not too much in the way of spoilers, but basically his girlfriend had claimed that she was in a car accident and then got leukemia, and then died. And anybody who would have bothered to do a Google search of her name in car accidents in the city, in the state where she lived, would have instantly found out that it never happened, that she never existed. Um, And it just took this little tiny online newspaper staff of eight to kind of figure it out and expose you know, mainstream media that way. It's a fascinating watch. It's a two-parter. It's on Netflix. I cannot recommend it enough. Again, if you're, 
you know, if you're a sports fan, it's a great watch. Um, it gets into sort of the catfishing, the, you know, deception, and then how it caused the anxiety and the depression. So from like a, a sociological perspective, from a psychological perspective, it's an absolutely fascinating watch. And again, sports, you know, kind of representing and being a metaphor for so many other things and so many other things that get sort of displayed against the background of sports. Uh, those are my two documentary picks for the week. Without a doubt, absolutely, absolutely fascinating, fascinating re, uh, watches. You'll be riveted. I I had to watch them all the way through as soon as I started them. Great, great stuff. All right, enough talking. I'm going to go refill my water. And when I come back, we're going to taste through the last three whiskeys from around the world that I have to share with you guys. All right, be back in a minute. All right, I'm back. Uh, no more talking, just straight drinking from here. Now, these whiskeys, I'm doing them, one, because I have a curious, adventurous palate. You know, I, I want to try everything. I want to know what's out there. So some of these whiskeys, don't be surprised if they're not in every store. Um, some of them are in stock at my store. Some of them are not right now. Um one of them, which is the first one that I'm going to taste, I'm not even sure is even available in this country anymore. And, you know, this is Baines, um, Cape Mountain Whiskey. They are from South Africa. Now, I had this at my store a few years ago. I bought the bottle and I just sort of realized it was kind of still kicking around. I've been looking for it. I don't even think it's available in this country anymore. Um, but kind of the bigger point as to why I'm doing this is to show you that there is great whiskey from all over the world. If you just expand your mind, expand your horizons, expand your palate, you can find some cool, unique stuff in other parts of the world. Now, at this point, you guys may be saying like, well, all right, well, the first one you tried is single malt. The second one you tried is single malt. Is that what they make in the rest of the world? And the answer is typically, yeah, because corn is kind of a native American thing. Um, we'll, we'll see a rye next, but really barley kind of grows everywhere. Barley is kind of the lifeblood of Irish whiskey and Scotch whiskey uh, and now Japanese whiskey. And a lot of these, you know, when I started to dive in it and see if there was any sort of like federal guidelines on whiskey in these countries. Some of them, I mean, uh, the one in Australia, like the, the Morris, there aren't that many distilleries in Australia. So there's no real need for the government to get involved in, in kind of set guidelines. So a lot of them, a lot of these countries, whether it's Sweden, even Japan, uh, England, Finland, um, France, Germany. I've seen whiskeys from all of these places. While they don't follow specifically single malt scotch guidelines, that tends to be kind of the standards that they adhere to for most of their whiskey. 
but there's really no federal guidelines in any of these countries that define it in the same way that, you know, scotch is defined or Irish whiskey is defined, bourbon, rye, American single malt, um, even Japanese whiskey kind of has some guidelines now. But a lot of these countries, some of these whiskeys that I'm tasting, you know, the Gouden Carolus, they were the first commercial distillery in Belgium. Why do you need guidelines? You don't even have an industry there yet. You have a product. So there are no kind of guidelines. So it's it's tough to tell what they're doing and what they're not doing. But from all of my research, these guys are doing everything pure and authentic and real. They're not trying to create a bulk amount of product uh, for mass market. They're doing what they do because they love it and, you know, they have a passion and they want to share it with the world. So first one is Baines uh, from South Africa. And, you know, this one is interesting because it's 100% corn whiskey grown right there in South Africa. Um, it's, a, I think, like a four to six-year-old. I think they're using ex-bourbon barrels. This one's clocking in at 86 proof. Let's get right into it. 100% corn whiskey. Pretty, pretty fantastic. Mm. So delicious. Sweet, rich, soft. A lot of buttercream and vanilla. Long, kind of sweet finish. This is just a fun, easy-drinking, kind of American-style whiskey. Just sweet, kind of corn whiskey. Kind of reminiscent of a slightly lower-proof uh, mellow corn. Yeah. Ah, so good. So easy to drink. And so much fun. All right. Sorry, I had to step out there. Uh, you know, I uh, say, you know, unscripted, unedited, you know, unfiltered, unprepared. But this one, I was actually prepared. And then I sat down, hit the record button and realized that I left all my notes in the other room. So Baines, again, I'm still tasting that finish. That is absolutely delicious. Uh, it's double matured in bourbon barrel barrels. Um, so it's aged in bourbon barrels. And then it's dumped into, again, new barrels for a secondary finish. Four to six years, like I said, it is the only commercially licensed distillery, not only in South Africa, but it's the only commercially licensed distillery making whiskey in all of Africa. So again, no real need uh, for federal guidelines when you are the category. Uh, and again, Bain Distillery has been around since eight. 1886 in South Africa. Uh, fascinating. Again, a ton of history there. Mm. Just great, great mouthfeel on that whiskey. Love it. It's almost a shame that we can't get that in this country anymore because from what I remembered, it was like a $25, $30 bottle. Really, really inexpensive, affordable, approachable, and really kind of a good intro to whiskey. And what it shows, again, is not everyone around the world is making single malt malted barley. 
there are some countries that are doing interesting stuff with traditional sort of quote unquote American grains. And that's where we're at with the next one. This is a, a fun one to me. This is one that I, I'm surprised didn't make Whiskey Advocates top 20 last year. You know, I actually bought extra of this at the store in anticipation. This, this was going to be a top 20 whiskey. That's how much I believed in this whiskey. Now, this one is from Finland, and it's called Cairo. In Cairo, for any of my gin drinkers out there, you guys may recognize Cairo as a gin from Finland. And, you know, you talk about great stories. And this is kind of a fun one. And if you go to the website, you really sort of get the feel for it. Basically, as the story goes, there are six guys sitting around in a hot tub in Finland drinking rye whiskey, probably getting drunk, uh, probably all very European, so probably all naked. And I make that assessment based on there's a picture on the bottom of sort of their webpage of like five old naked white men running through a field of rye. It's taken from behind and you just see all their kind of old naked butts running through the, the field. Uh, it's kind of funny, but it definitely sets the tone about like their their sense of humor. But they're also very, very serious about it. And they're sitting around in a hot tub drinking rye whiskey going like, why don't? We just make rye whiskey here. So they are dedicated in everything they do spirits-wise that they use 100% malted Finland rye for all their distillates. So their gin, which uh, when we did our gin challenge a few years ago and I was naming off the top gins in the store, that was like number three or four in the store. The base distillate of their gin is rye distillate. It's basically unaged rye whiskey. And why did they do a gin? Because as we've talked about many, many times, when you're a new whiskey brand and it's you're waiting three, four years for your whiskey to age, you need to do something to make some money during those times. Again, they're in Finland. They don't even have an MGP over there to source from. So if you want to get in the whiskey game, in Europe, unless you're in Scotland or England, chances are you're making your own distillate and aging it until it's ready, which means you have to make vodka, you have to make gin, you have to make cordials, you have to do something to get some revenue flow and to get some cash flow going, unless you're so over monetized that you can just make it and sit on it. So yeah, these guys made a gin. And while their gin was selling out and becoming, you know, one of the best gins in the world, their whiskey was aging. Um, they started distilling in 2014. It's 100% malted rye aged in American oak. They're doing it on a pot still. Um, they bought an old dairy farm, and that's where they're making all the spirits and growing all their rye grain. It's a pretty, pretty fascinating story. And what do we get for proof? So we're talking 94.4 proof. Again, 100% malted rye and an affordable price point. I think it's right around 50 bucks on the shelf. And it's got such a unique nose. 
that at first you think like, oh, that's it's kind of woody, but it's not. It's the malted rye. And this is not your MGP rye. This is not green, you know, green apple, dill pickle, spearmint. This is a hearty, hearty rye. Almost rye breadish. All right, here we go. So good. So interesting. I'm almost getting like coffee notes. Um, you get some like pink peppercorn spice in there, but definitely nothing green. This is a darker, richer rye whiskey. And again, very classic label. I love the package. You know, it's branded, right? You know who's making it. You know exactly what it is. Straight, single, rye, malt, whiskey. Black and white, just very classy, very classic. It's fantastic. I really thought that this would be interesting and unique enough that Whiskey Advocate would have put it on its list. But, I mean, understandably, there are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of whiskeys released every year. So the competition is a little stiff, but... I feel like with that Whiskey Advocate Top 20 list, sometimes uh, I've joked about it with my friend Mike. You know, like sometimes we feel like there's a whiskey or two on that list just to kind of prove that you're hip or that you're out of the box or that you're different. Some of them are just some of them are are puzzling for sure. Uh, But I thought this would be one of those sort of hip cool way out you know you know there's always like a a whiskey from england or you know a cavalon or or something from some weird region or a weird state in in the u.s that makes that list this should have made it because it really is that good but again if you're expecting green dilly mgp rye this is probably not for you And again, a 94.4 proof, that's a great proof point for rye. And I've heard some people say, like, you know, like, I don't drink these whiskeys because they're super low in proof. They're not not even 90 proof or they're not 100 proof. You know, you don't get a lot of cask strength. Here's the problem with getting cask strength whiskey from outside of the U.S. Everybody, I don't care what part of the world you're in. You are paying taxes on alcohol. So the alcohol that is sitting in their rickhouse, their warehouse, whatever, they are paying taxes by the week on it. So now you're talking about a whiskey that's in Finland, for example, with this one. And they've got whiskey aging for three, four years. They're paying tax on that every year. Then they have to pay an export tax. Obviously, they have to buy the packaging and get all that done, too. Then they have to get it across the Atlantic Ocean to the U.S., where they pay an import tax. And then it gets to the wholesaler or, you know, whoever's selling it to the wholesaler, who then has to sell it to the retailer, who then has to sell it to you. There's a lot of links in that chain before it gets to the customer. I don't like the prices of a lot of these whiskeys. 
but I understand completely why they are the way they are. And again, these aren't big giant corporations, you know, Cairo isn't owned by Pernod Ricard or Constellation or Diageo. It's not a team of 150 people working at the distillery. It's like five guys doing everything by hand. They probably don't have a $10 million bottling line. They don't have enough capital to buy, you know, just tons and tons of rye and process it and be distilling all day, every day. You know, these are true passion products done by a small few people. And that kind of raises the price as well. All right. I got one more world whiskey for you. This one comes from Sweden and I saved this one for last for a few reasons. Um, it is sort of the pinnacle of world whiskeys, or at least the highest ranking one uh, that I've got on here on the table. And this one is from Sweden and it is from a distillery called high coast. And they've been making whiskey for a while um, since 2010. So I guess, relatively speaking, that is a while. Uh, and some interesting things that I learned when I was doing some research on this whiskey, because I was looking into, like I said, whiskey guidelines in other countries. Oh, man, that sound just never gets old. And, you know, a lot of these countries, there's no guidelines in. But when I looked up Swedish whiskey guidelines, what I found is that the whole Swedish spirits industry is controlled by the Swedish government in something called the system Balaget or Balagel. I am pronouncing it terribly, um, but there's uh, an actual, the government owns all the spirits in the country or has complete control over all the spirits in the country in their distribution. Uh, I know Pernod Ricard owns a piece of, or owns absolute, um, but within the country of Sweden, it's still controlled by their system. This whiskey, high coast HAV bottling, and they make a couple other bottlings, but this is the HAV bottling. So kind of the story on this, one of my sales reps who, um, you know, these guys, we exchange information all the time and some of them lean on me for opinions and, you know, my thoughts and how they go present things to other, other accounts. Some of them are just friends of mine who like to share things. And this was brought to me by one of my sales reps who said, Hey, I found this whiskey. It's from Sweden. It's a single malt. It's, you know, I found it up in New Hampshire for like 45 bucks. I was like, sweet. And then I tried it. And I said, oh, this is special. So doing the researching and getting a little backstory on this whiskey, this is kind of mind-blowing. By the way, this is one of those whiskeys that did make Whiskey Advocates top 20 as one of those kind of out-in-left-field world whiskeys. This was actually number six on Whiskey Advocates top 20 of 2021. So it's bottled under... You know, it's the, the bottling is called have HAV, which in Swedish means C. So have C, obviously some ocean influence in the aging process there. 
So here's where it got fascinating to me. And these are very specific numbers that are, you know, I've been on, you know, if you guys have been listening and talking to me, my fascination with blending and the art of blending is just growing by the day. I am just awestruck and fascinated by who these blenders are and the magic that they are pulling off uh, with some of these products. So check (laughs) this out. 76.82% of this whiskey is unpeated. 23.18 is peated. Now, they're not saying 77% and 23%. It's 76.82. It's a very specific number of unpeated and peated whiskey. And then the way it's aged is this. 66.85%. A very specific number. They're kind of jump started in the aging process and they are aged in small Hungarian and Swedish oak barrels for five months and then they're transferred to bourbon barrels to continue the aging process. 30.84% is aged solely in bourbon barrels. 2.67% is aged in 40-liter Hungarian oak barrels solely. Just take in the magnitude of that. You're talking about 76.82%, 23.18%, 66.85%, 30.84%, 2.67%. Like, who would have ever thought, you know, like, this is almost right. You know what we need? 2.67% 2.67% of this to be aged in, you know, small Hungarian oak barrels. That fascinates me to no end that that is the breakdown of the whiskey that goes into this. And in the end, uh, the youngest whiskeys in the blend are six years old. So you're getting six-year whiskey. Uh, right now, I'm out of stock on this. This is out of stock from my distributor, but it's 45 bucks on the shelf. For six year single malt from Sweden that's peated and unpeated, Hungarian oak, Swedish oak, American oak, all the blending that goes into it, this is what you get for $45. What you get is the number six whiskey in the world of 2021. Now, on the nose, you know, that peat presence is there. It's not over the top. It's not Ardbeg. It's not Lafrogue. It's not Lagavulin. But it's there. Not overly iodine, just sort of like softly sitting on top of the distillate. Now, unfortunately, like the smell of peat can sometimes overwhelm everything else that's in the glass. So I don't get a ton else on the nose, but here we go on the palate. Is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful dram. It's got some of that sweet sort of cereal notes, um, white flowers, honey, chamomile. And right before it gets too sweet, you get that little bit of smoke that keeps everything in balance. But it's really not, not overly smoky. What is this clocking in at? This is 96 proof too. So 
again, you're talking 96 proof, all those wacky percentages of blending and aging. Six years, the number six whiskey, 45 bucks on the shelf. If you are a single malt scotch drinker and you like a hint of smoke in your scotch, and you're looking at the price of single malt scotch out there, which are climbing. I mean, McAllen is up to like 90 bucks a bottle. Uh, it's outrageous. The prices, you know, Balvini 12-year double wood that we used to buy for 45 bucks is $75, $80 a bottle. This is from Sweden. It's six years. It's not 12 years. But you know what? Who cares? You know, I have this conversation all the time. The whiskey is good when the whiskey is good. It's ready when it's ready. The whole concept of us believing that older is better is because Scotland had so much whiskey left after Prohibition that it was starting to get up there. It was starting to get long in the tooth. And they came up with this marketing campaign that said older whiskey is better whiskey. It's premium because it's aged longer. And we were like, hell yeah, that makes perfect sense. But now we're so obsessed with age statements you know, and forgetting like what that age statement means. 12 years in Scotland could be 20 years in Scotland. It doesn't get hot in Scotland. So you're not baking that wood. You're not getting, you know, the contraction and expansion of the distillate getting sucked into the wood and then pushed back out. You don't get that. So you can age a whiskey in Scotland for 12 years and it's still soft and mellow and flavorful. You age a whiskey sometimes in Kentucky for 12 years. First of all, half the barrel might be empty when you open it up. And it's so wood baked that it's actually got wood tannins. And sometimes the wood is overwhelming. So the climate in Sweden, you know, has perfectly matured that whiskey in six years. The amount of time it spends in the barrel does not make it better. You have to factor in the climate that it was aged in, the position in the rickhouse that it was aged in. You know, in bourbon, six years on the top floor is not the same as six years on the bottom floor. Uh, six years at Old Forester in a heat-cycled rickhouse is not the same as six years in Claremont at Jim Beam in a rickhouse that's out in the sun that's not heat-cycled. So... While age statements are a good sort of guiding thing, people have to stop getting so wrapped up in that number on the label. It doesn't always tell the complete truth. Like any other number, like any other stat, it can be skewed any way you want it to be. But seriously, this for a six-year single malt is the equivalent to a ton of 12-year single malt scotches that I have tried. And man, this is this is spot on. This is beautiful. All right. So in closing, let's take these one by one. First off, the Morris. Is it good? Yeah, it's so good. Is it worth the money? At 60 bucks, it is absolutely worth the money. Does the bottle start a conversation on the bar? Of course it does. It's classic. It kind of looks like it came from Scotland with the labeling, but yet it's very clearly Australian. The fact that it says Australian on the label 
that alone needs to start a conversation. And people are going like, Australian? I didn't know they made whiskey in Australia. And there you go. You're off on a dialogue. So it's a three out of three there. The dangerous thing, like taster, sipper, drinker. I bought that bottle two days ago. It is two-thirds gone. So it's definitely something that I want to share with people. You know, I want them to taste. I want them to sip. And for, you know, 60 bucks, it's a little out of the price range of a daily drinker. Um, but the proof point is right. 60 bucks isn't so crazy uh, that you can definitely drink that for a session. Morris winner across the board. Gooden Carolus. Is it good? Yeah, it's fantastic. Especially if you like Belgian beers. If you're out there drinking Amagong, Boulevard, uh, Allagash, uh, St. Bernardus, Gooden Carolus, Duval, uh, all those great Belgian beers, and you like whiskey, this is it. Um, so is it good? Yes. Is it worth the money? It's 60 bucks for all the process and the imports and all that. Yeah, it's absolutely worth the money. Does the bottle start a conversation? This bottle is so diesel, heavy-duty, thick. It commands a presence on the bar, and it looks like no other bottle you've had, except for maybe Blade & Bow, but even the labeling is better on this than it is on Blade & Bow. So yeah, the bottle starts a conversation. Taster, sipper, drinker, it's one you've got to taste. It's definitely one you can sip, and I mean, I can drink it for a session. So that's a winner across the board. Baines from South Africa. Is it good? Yeah, it's sweet. Um, it's soft. So much honey notes. Just an easy, easy drinker. Is it good? Yeah, it's really good. It's really well made. Is it worth the money? I think I paid like right around 30 bucks for it when I bought it. So even in today's market, if it was up at 40 bucks, I still wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, does the bottle start a conversation? Yeah, because it's got like, there's a couple of, uh, I think they're Rams on the front label. But they, like at first glance, it looks like, a no, they're like Jaguars. Um, and it's labeled as a single grain whiskey, which means it just comes from one uh, distillery. Um, and it's made from unmalted uh, grains. But when you first look at it, it kind of looks like a clatter ring over sort of the Bane's shield. And then it turns out if you look a little closer, they look like jaguars or leopards or something. But it does kind of look like a clatter ring. So it almost looks like it could be an Irish whiskey when you look at it really, really quickly. Um, but yeah, the label should start a conversation. Um, that is definitely a drinker. Uh, it's worth it to taste. It's easy to sip. But man, at that sweetness, at that proof point, that is an all-night banger for sure. Uh, Cairo, it's great to hear me talk about the packaging. It definitely starts a conversation. Because even in America, you don't see many straight single rye malt whiskeys. Um, and you don't see anything from Finland. Like All these bottles should start a conversation because they come from weird places. And, you know, so it's good. It's worth the money. Bottle starts a conversation. Um, it's a sipper. You know, it's definitely a unique flavor that I like a lot. But I'm not sitting down and banging this out in the course of a night. Um, 
I'm happy to share a taste with it with anybody. Um, and it's definitely a sipper that I kind of have a glass or two and then put it back in the cabinet for later. And then lastly, the high coast have, uh, from Sweden. I mean, it looks like single malt scotch. The label does. Um, even the color of the whiskey does. So it's good at 45 bucks. It is, it well over delivers on that price point. And the bottle starts a conversation because it, you know, Single malt whiskey, high coast. You guys will see the picture of this. HAV. It looks kind of like nothing else you've ever seen. Uh, it's definitely interesting, conversation worthy, by and far. Uh, so it starts a conversation. So it hits all those points. It's good. It's worth the money. Um, and depending on the kind of night, that little bit of peat, sometimes it's hard for me to drink a lot of. Uh, so I sip on this. But, you know, pairing this with food, with like, brisket or some sort of smoked meats or drinking it outside on a cool fall night is absolutely beautiful. So it's definitely something I'm happy to share a taste with anybody. Uh, it's definitely something that's easy to sip on. And yeah, depending on the, the mood and the food and the, the, the location, I could probably drink this quite a bit, although a little bit higher in proof. I'm going to get a little bit goofier drinking that as well. So there it is. That's our tour of the world uh, five world whiskeys. And it just, again, maybe not go out and look for these, but at least expand your mind and expand your palates to try some stuff from other parts of the world. They're doing cool stuff. And it's just an interesting way to kind of, I don't know, see how other people do it. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. <sighs> wow. Thank you guys, as always for indulging me on this journey for being there. And, uh, I can't tell you guys enough how much I appreciate the comments, the feedback, the, the fact that you guys are there and, you know, we're growing every single week. So as always, if you're out there, you like what we're doing. And if you've listened this far into the podcast, you must like a little bit what we're doing. <laughs> uh, go to the podcast page, click that follow button. If you haven't already done so, give it a five-star rating Share it out on your social media so that your friends who are into the same kind of things that we're into know that there's a podcast out there for them. Follow on Facebook and Instagram where you can leave reviews and comments. Um, and you can also message me through both of those platforms. And as always, if you have a sample that you're curious as to my opinion of, and I've got a few already lined up for next week's uh, Tuesday Night Tasting. Um, if there's something that I've tasted here, especially any of these whiskeys that I've tasted tonight, if you're interested in trying them, reach out to me. If you're over 21, you live in the area, I've got plenty. Uh, I'll be more than happy to do up samples for you and bring them to you and get them to you somehow. And as always, if you want to come here, geek out about movies, music, TV, books, whatever, and drink some cool spirits. For all of that, you can email me at thespiritguide89 at gmail.com. Now, the fact that you're here till the very end, we've already closed it out, but I'm going to put this special offer for anybody who is stuck around till the very end. The first one that reaches out to me and says that they want to try these whiskeys, I will do up a sample of all five of these whiskeys and bring them to you. So there it is. If you stuck around till the end, the first one to email me at thespiritguide89gmail.com and say, hey, I would like to try all of those whiskeys. 
I will do you up samples of all five of them and bring them to you. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed. Stay safe. Stay cool. Stay hydrated. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Cheers. <laughs>